Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, this is Chris Fetters with Dogman.com and here with Kim Reynolds and Scott Eklund. And we are kind of doing a, a big kind of recap, Pac-12 tournament recap, but probably even longer term recap on the basketball team. Kim's down in Vegas right now. Um, obviously, got a chance to see the the, the, the Washington uh, Washington team play against um, God, who they play in the first game. Utah <laughs> beat them and then lost, uh, unfortunately, last night to USC. So... Kim, obviously, from your perspective, first-hand perspective, watching the team, ultimately, you know, you got a chance to talk to Hop and some of the players post-game on both games. What's your initial indication of how the team comes out of it after this? Well, just, you know, first of all, when you say Las Vegas, it might be a little bit of a misnomer because it just seems like every time we do a Pac-12 tournament, it's Tucson North. This place is just inundated with uh, Arizona fans. And it was funny, you know, where, you know, they didn't, Arizona didn't play the first game, but, you know, going into yesterday's getting into the arena and, uh, you know, I'd say the place was probably three quarters full where it was probably 20% full for every other game. But uh, as soon as the Arizona game was over, the place was desolate again and probably 30 to 40% full. So, um, you know, there's a lot of Arizona fans down down here and then again having the late games which is always fun where the guys have got to sit around all day 8 30 game and then the um uh previous game the uh, ucla washington state game went a little bit late where uh washington state was you know down and the game was obviously over but they continued to press and play hard so that game went a little bit longer so we didn't even tip off till what 8 45 was it chris yeah the game ended up it was supposed to be on fox sports one it got preempted to Fox Sports 2 for the first few minutes, but it wasn't too bad. I mean, yeah, they had to delay it a few minutes, but it wasn't too bad. Yeah, the Xavier or uh, I don't know who it was, Seton oh, Hall and UConn and Seton Hall. Yeah, they were yeah. They, they went late. Yeah, it was interesting, you know, because we had a chance to talk to George Klyovkov and his, um, his right-hand man, which was kind of interesting because when we're used to talking to Larry Scott, Chris, you know, we always laughed that. I called him back Pat Larry because whenever Larry had one of these press conferences, he would take the first 10 minutes and pat himself on the back and tell us about the awesomeness of the Pac-12 and the awesomeness of the job that they were doing. But that was left to his right-hand man. You know, I can't even remember his name, but he spent 10 minutes patting himself on the back and how awesome things were. And when I uh, asked about, you know, moving the tournament from uh, Los Angeles to Las Vegas. I think it was a great move, but the attendance is still suffering and you, you know, but the attendance was suffering before COVID. So they're still having attendance problems down here. When asked what they were doing for it, I got a bunch of gobbledygook word salad and didn't really say anything. So um, it's a really cool atmosphere. If nobody's ever been down here for this, it's a cool place. And it's a great way to do it. Drinks are expensive, but that's just the way it is. But um, a really good, uh, you know, it's a cool place to come, you know, it's a great arena, you know, there's lots to do down here, but, uh, you know, getting to the game, USC is just a tough matchup in Washington with the bigs that they have and just so much size and length. Um, 
it's just a tough matchup. And, you know, I know a lot of fans are frustrated with the season, but, you know, when you take a look at, you know, after where they were the last two years and rebuilding the program and where they were predicted to be finished and where they predicted where they finished, you know, I, I know they're not going to make the tournament, but not really disappointed. You know, I'm, I'm just sad the season's come to an end. Well, one thing it's interesting, Kim, and that, you know, you obviously were there to hear Mike Hopkins talk about it, but he actually, and, and again, I don't know if this is just wishful thinking or if this is just kind of the post-game emotion of it all, but he seemed to be pretty convinced that they've done enough, especially the last 20 games of the year, to be considered for an NIT berth. What do you think? Well, I think part of it, he's kind of pissed off. And I think all the coaches are, you know, when you take a look at the three teams at the top of the league, those are three elite teams in USC, Arizona, uh, and UCLA. And all three of those are capable of winning a national championship and winning it all. And then you take a look at Colorado. I mean, he was really upset about, you know, talking about Colorado was a bubble team. You know, he thinks that they've done enough to be into the tournament and, um, he says he's been in the Big East. He's been, you know, all over the place. And this is as good a basketball as being played anywhere. And he's really not happy about the slight that the um, uh, Pac-12 seems to get. And it almost seemed to me a little bit he was asking the conference to help fight for them. But let's say, you know, that Colorado does make the tournament and that's four tournament teams into the NCAA playoffs. And then you look at the NIT, how many uh, Pac-12 teams will the NIT take? Because if they take two in after Colorado making it in, Oregon obviously would be a choice. And, you know, Dana Altman talked about that post game. But then after Oregon, if they're going to take that second Pac-12 team, Washington's got to be right there. If you take a look at the other teams, you know, there, who, who would you take over Washington? Would you take a Washington State? Would you take a Stanford or Arizona State? Because as well as Washington is playing right now, and it's like Hop said, you take a look at their ranking, you know, in December, and then take a look at it now and how much better they've played. And I agree with them. I, I don't think anybody wants to play Washington right now. Well, I think that kind of proved itself out last night with the game, and we'll go into that in just a sec. You know, but if you look at it, I mean, they still have no Tier 1 wins. Washington State's probably in a better position overall. If you look at their record objectively, their net and everything else. Now their net is way, way higher than Washington's right now. Um, you know, it just, to me, looking at it, I, I agree with Hopkins in the sense that if you just look at the back two thirds of their, of what they've done and, and that part of their schedule, yeah, they could probably make a legitimate, uh, you know, argument for a postseason tournament of some sort. But you can't do that. You, you, you've got to put you've got to put the whole season into context. And I guarantee you there's about three or four games there that they would love to have back, especially playing the way that they're playing, because that's the problem. If you don't treat every game like it matters 100 percent, you're, you're going to end up on the back on, on the wrong end of these things once the season comes to an end. Well, the thing that, that throws a monkey wrench in it, Chris, is when you're talking about the NCAA tournament, you're getting bids and you go. That's not necessarily true with the NIT. Uh, as a school, you have to put in a bid because it's not a money-making proposition going to the NIT. You lose money. And when you're talking about the teams that you know aren't going to make the NCAA and the other teams that could go to the NIT, not all the teams are going to want to spend the money to go into that tournament because it's a money loser. You don't make money doing it. You lose money doing that. So that's a wrench thrown into it. And then 
you know, when you talk about, you know, every game being important, the COVID, you know, really threw a monkey wrench into this season, you know, three weeks without practice, a guy like Jackson Grant, you know, lost 15, 20 pounds, and he's just never recovered. The coaching staff, they had to coach one game without any coaches whatsoever. And people just say everybody had to deal with the COVID, but and it seemed to hit Washington a little bit harder than most when you've got, you know, the COVID scares and then the players and you don't think about what's going on off the court when you've got parents, girlfriends, friends telling players you shouldn't even be practicing, you shouldn't be playing, you're crazy. Just the chaos that was created, especially when the coaches caught it. And again, you're not practicing for three weeks and you're trying to gel and this team's finally now coming together. But I think a big piece of that puzzle, Chris, is, you know, putting in the bid for the NIT, whether that's going to happen or not, I don't know. Well, I think as far as the COVID stuff, both things can be true. You can you can say Washington got hit maybe unduly hard by it, which I don't think is necessarily wrong. But the fact is, everyone did get affected to a certain extent. So you had to just kind of deal with it. But as far as the NIT stuff, you're not wrong. But I think we we, we still need to deal with the way things are objectively and wait for that part of the equation to kind of work itself out after the fact. We can't just assume that X number of teams are going to fall by the wayside so Washington can get into the NIT because they just didn't want to pay for it. We can't again, assume that. But again, if you're going to take two teams you know, uh, you know, from the Pac-12 and one of them's Oregon and you're going to take a second team, there's – Washington's got a good argument – yeah, but at this time, it's Colorado, and that's why I think Hopkins was upset with the Colorado stuff because he he thinks, obviously, Colorado should be in the NCAA tournament, which, like you're saying, would bump Washington into a potential role in the NIT. But that's, uh, you know, and, and who knows? I mean, the, we all know the bracketology can be a major fail at times, but most of the time, the top guys, like Lenardi and those guys, get it right most of the time, and they're not – they don't have they don't have Colorado in, and right now they've got a super uphill battle because they've got to play um, who they got to play. They got to play uh, Arizona tonight, mm-hmm. and that's you know, I mean even if Arizona doesn't have Kirk Creasa, um, which is probably true, um, still going to be a huge task for them. Be a good game tonight. Yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure, Scott. Uh, what was your take on the on the two games that Washington played? Well, you know, I the the Utah game was was pretty fun to watch because I saw Washington really. I mean, from all the games that I watched all season long, I thought that was probably their most complete game that they played. I, I thought the defense was was good. I thought offensively they took advantage of some things. Then you go to last night's game. Washington shot right or I think it was under thirty percent for the night. Twenty seven percent, I think, from. Uh, three-point line and and or from outside the arc and and 30 percent from inside the arc and um and then you know they were out rebounded by 12 um everything in the stat sheet said usc should win but washington at one point held an eight point lead and i i saw some times when washington and this has kind of just been the story of the season when washington played teams that are better than them um, they missed opportunities. They, they had some opportunities to make open shots. They didn't, they weren't able to get them to fall for whatever reason. And then I think when, uh, Nate Roberts fouled out, I think that was kind of, that was when things, I mean, Washington only lost by four points last night and everything like that. But, uh, you know, when, when Roberts went out, Washington just as good as Langston Wilson played most of the night last night, I just, 
the pre- not having a presence like Nate Roberts inside really hurt Washington. And that's where USC was really ma- able to make uh, things work down the stretch. Yeah, no, no question that that was the factor there. Um, I think it was about 620 left, 615, 620 left in the game. And, uh, you know, two, two fouls, bang, bang, right there. And I, yeah. I, don't, I couldn't tell if Hopkins was in the process of trying to get Nate out just for a quick blow and maybe get him in, you know, after the, the final under four timeout to try to see if he could just, you know, last and, and go that far. But, you know, for, for Nate, he's just got to be aware. I mean, yeah, he can't put himself in that situation. It's just a bad, it's a bad look for him on that. Um, you know, Kim, from from your perspective, you know, I'm looking at the stat sheet, and Scott noted all the reasons why Southern California should have been out in front of this game. But then you look, they, you know, Washington forced 23 turnovers. They got, God, how many steals? 13 steals. Uh, like Scott said, they were up by eight at one point. Uh, you know, Terrell Brown comes out with 21 in the first half it certainly felt for the longest time like Washington had everything going for him until Nate fouled out. Well, you know, USC made a good adjustment. You know, the USC's good. Let's, you know, give a lot of credit to USC and what they did to Washington is what they've been doing to teams all year is throwing that length at them. And the adjustment that they made at the half to really, you know, put length on Terrell Roberts, um, excuse me, Terrell, um, Terrell Brown, uh, that really impacted Terrell. And then in addition, and you could see it on TV, boy, Terrell just wasn't getting any calls whatsoever. The you know, one of the final drives at the end of the game, one of the things that Terrell is really good at is getting a hold of the defender and then slowing down a little bit. So that defender is almost riding him and then getting an and one on those plays. And he's been really good at that all year. He was not getting those calls in the second half and he was obviously getting frustrated. You know, he fell on the floor in front of me a couple of times and, you know, the fans in back of me that weren't uh, Washington fans were, you know, getting on the ref or go, geez, can you give the guy a call? He's getting the crap kicked out of him. But, you know, Terrell wasn't able to get any calls, but uh, that's a really good USC team. And with the length that they have, it's a tough matchup for Washington. And also real quick, how much do you think was the role of Andy Enfield kind of constantly in the refs here all game long? How much do you think that ultimately paid dividends and the fact that maybe they did swallow their whistles near the end and and just kind of let them play? Well, you say Andy Enfield in their ear. I mean, that's not really describing what he does. I mean, he's like a madman on the sidelines, you know, when, uh, I mean, he's right up there with Bobby Hurley with his sideline antics. And I don't know how much that really had an impact because it's not like it's a one-time deal with him. He does it every game. Same with Bobby Hurley. And then, you know, I'm down underneath the basket and, you know, in the first half, you know, where they pull out their chairs, I'm probably 20 feet from him. And boy, I mean, he's, he's insane. I mean, he just goes after his guys he's yelling he's screaming he's flailing his arms and i don't know you know i don't know how much the refs really you know really listen to that so um i don't know it's just it's not what he does it's who he is yeah now how much kim do you how much do we want to move into like what we think is going to happen with the roster uh for next year i mean do we want to start to speculate a little bit we know for a fact that Terrell Brown's not going to be back. We know for a fact that Dejon Davis is not going to be back. They had nine guys, technically seniors, that walked during the senior night. Um, how many of those guys do you expect to be back realistically? Well, they've got three roster spots that are open. Dejon is out of um, 
out of eligibility, save with Terrell. And then they put Reagan Lundeen on uh, scholarship too. So they have three high school kids in Corin Johnson, um, uh, Keon uh, Menefield, and why am I spacing on the other guy? Tyler Linhart. Tyler Linhart. They've got um, those three guys tied up. So those three guys will take the three college scholarship spots. And then you've got to take a look at the other seniors who walked, you know, and I think the, the main one that's going to be back, everything I've heard is he's coming back and that's Emmett Matthews. And, you know, I'm just going to veer off a little bit here, Chris. I know it drives me crazy when you do it, but I'm going to do it a little bit, but um, post game last night, you know, walking off the floor, um, Dejon Davis was devastated. Once he got into the tunnel, um, he was down on his knees. He had a towel over his head. He was sobbing. Uh, Emmett Matthews was not far behind him. He was pretty broken up, pretty emotional uh, about the outcome. Nate Roberts was incredibly devastated as well. Um, you know, so uh, just a lot of emotion uh, after that loss last night. But, you know, getting back to the roster, Emmett Matthews is expected to be back. Uh, Nate Roberts, I mean, he's had some success the last two or three games. Everything I've heard um, is he won't be returning. Um, and I, I don't know how many people really know Nate. He's a really bright kid. Um, you know, he's a very, very bright kid. I think he made the Dean's list, you know, and I'm hearing rumors that he just wants to get on with his life after basketball and, you know, get on with his life. We'll see if that changes, but I don't expect Nate Roberts back at this point. Um, I think Jamal Bay is uh, a 50-50 uh, guy, whether uh, he will come back or not. I think that um, that would have to be a joint decision by both Jamal and the coaches. And I know people like to put a target on Jamal's um, chest, but, um, you know, if Jamal Bay was to return next year, I think it'd be a really nice piece. You know, when you've got old guys on the team who've got that much experience, it's a good thing. So, you know, we all know what Jamal Bay is, but to expect more out of him, I think that's tough, but, you know, he's a really good defensive player and he does a lot of the little things to help you win. And that experience would be valuable. And the other guy that um, I'm not quite sure about would be Riley Sorn. Um, you know, Riley had some uh, back issues that he fought this year. And I, um, uh, I know that he's another one of these really bright kids who wanted to major in aeronautical engineering and had to switch his majors because the basketball was just too demanding. So we'll see if Riley comes back Um and then who would be the other guy? Um, like that Dom would, Penn? Uh, I, I'd be really surprised if Dom Penn doesn't enter the transfer portal. Did you uh, say PJ? Uh, no, PJ's coming back. Okay. PJ's coming back. But, Fuller and Bajima would be the ones for sure that would be back. Matthews, like you said. Kim, yeah. For sure he'd be back. And just let me throw one little uh, wild card in there. Uh, Sam Aribe. Um, don't sleep on Sam. Um, they're going to see if they can get a red shirt out of him. Um, he hurt his knee and I know they really like him a lot. Um, a big time athlete and he shoots a lot better than people think. And just a uh, real quick story on Sam, you know, he's trying to get his red shirt year back. And a couple games ago, um, he made the box score, box score by getting too excited on the bench and uh, he got a technical foul. So him and I mess around with each other. I said, you made the box score, but now you might not be able to get your red shirt because you're in the box score and the look he gave me, but it was pretty funny, but it has no impact. But, you know, when you talk about the three guys that are leaving and that opens up the three spots are already taken and then um, they will need to get, you know, two to three uh, more attrition there to bring in what they want to bring in. 
which is a scoring point guard and one or two bigs from the transfer yep. portal. Okay. Um, I don't know if we, do we want to try to delve into names at this point, or we just kind of leave it at the numbers at this point and just kind of go from there. Yeah. I, I mean, names I'm hearing, I, I don't think it's fair to put those names out there because they're still on rosters and, you know, uh, we both you and you and Scott, Chris, we hear names all the time of guys that may be leaving. We hear it every year. And more often than not, those guys don't wind up leaving. But, you know, the name of the uh, there's a couple of bigs out there whose names I've definitely heard. Uh, one would be a huge get a um, couple of names on uh, point guards uh, would also be huge gets and then expect more and more people to enter in the transfer portal. And a lot of people say, well, who wants to come here and play for hop and play in the zone defense? A lot of people, if you're a scoring point guard and you take a look at what Terrell Brown was able to do, this is an attractive place to come. If you take a look at Washington's needs at bigs, it's an attractive place to come, you know, and when transfer guys are entering the transfer portal, the number one thing that they're looking for is playing time and opportunity. It's available at Washington for those two positions. Yeah. And I'm kind of curious just on Nate Roberts, what, you know, whether or not how this, how the season finished and just the potential that he sees for these guys, I'm wondering if that might change his mind and, and just maybe the, the feeling of, of coming away from this thing so close to progressing to something and, and wondering if he, feels like there might be some unfinished business there. I, I think that'll be interesting to watch for sure. Scott, do you have any final thoughts about the, about the season, the tournament, anything else? No, I mean, everybody knows that I don't usually chime in on the basketball stuff much, but this year I just, I wanted to see what this team was going to look like. I thought this team overachieved considering what most every, I mean, I don't think that's even questionable that they overachieved, but they left some meat on the table. And, and um, like you, <clears throat> like you guys talked about with Nate, I'm really hoping that Nate is encouraged and thinks that, Hey, I could actually go make the tournament for the, I, I, they haven't made the tournament since Nate Roberts been at Washington. Right. Um, did they make it the, was he here hop second year? Yeah, it might've been, but whatever it was, he, you know, he could go out going to, I, I mean, if Washington kept him and was able to get at least one more big, if not two, to go in and rotate with him. So he isn't the only guy out there trying to rebound and be that focal point. And then you get a scoring point guard to take the, the place of Terrell, man, I, I, I like where the, this, this program is, is headed. And I think it could be pretty special next year. So yeah, I had fun watching the team this year. There are frustrating moments. Don't get me wrong. I was frustrated by some missed opportunities by them, but overall, especially with what they had to deal with, with COVID and, and three weeks off and all those different things. I, I don't know how you don't come away at least a little bit encouraged that, Hey, maybe this, maybe this group can, can do that again. We'll see. Hey, Kim, you have any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Uh, yeah, just, you know, there's a lot of people out there talking about Hopkins future and he can be kind of a lightning rod, you know, and people, you know, there seems to be some very vocal people who thinks, you know, Hop does not deserve to come back next year. Um, yeah. And I don't believe that at all. Um, when you take a look at what he was able to do this year and everybody says, yeah, well, he made the mess the previous year, but you know, it, you've got to give people the chance to dig out of a hole sometime. And he definitely dug a hole and, Last year's roster was just a mess and yeah, that's on hop and that's, he's accountable for, you know, but that doesn't really accomplish anything. Last year's roster was a mess. 
the culture was terrible. There was off the off the uh, court stuff that, um, you know, Hop is just, I'm not doing that stuff anymore. So, you know, Hopkins has, you know, uh, relegated himself to recruit a whole different type of guy. He changed the coaching staff. And I think Viking Jones and Quincy Pondex are a huge upgrade over Cameron Dollar and Dave Rice. And I think that was evident towards the end of the year um, and how he fields, you know, the fills the roster, you know, coming, you know, before next year. I think that's going to be a key to next season. He needs to move the program forward. Everybody knows that. And this nonsense that some of these fans are settling for mediocrity and accepting, you know, not going to the tournament. It's a bunch of crap. I mean, it really is. It's just, it's just stupid. It's silly. Nobody wants to make the tournament more than Jen Cohen, Mike Hopkins, and every player on that staff. We knew what this program was going into the year, and I don't think anybody saw them doing as well as they have. He definitely moved the program forward. He needs to do the same next year, and he knows that. But like I said, these off, you know, off the off-season talent acquisition is going to be key. One other thing. Hopkins being back this year, Hopkins being back next year, and you know this as well as I do, Chris, it has nothing to do with finances. Everybody likes to say the go-to, maybe it makes him sound smart or whatever, but the Jimmy Lake situation and having to pay his buyout, Jen Cohen's never going to let money get in the way of the program doing what it needs to do, and the finances have nothing to do with Hopkins you know, coming back. Um, you know, It has everything to do with moving the program forward, and I think he did that this year. All right, good. Good discussion. Um, I'm going to try to get in touch with our head of hoops, Aaron Beach, to get his thoughts on not only the tournament, but the season as well uh, at the beginning of next week. So we have some more hoops, obviously, to look forward to as we kind of do the autopsy on the season and what have you. And, and maybe Hop's right. Maybe they can sneak in an NIT berth. Maybe you're right, Kim. Maybe some other teams back out, and that allows Washington uh, one more shot at glory for this, uh, for this particular season. I, I personally think the season's over. But, you, you know, until until it's fully done, you can never say never. So, hey, Chris, uh, no, yep. Chris, one more thing I want to add. We've been doing this a long time. I've been doing this since 1997. We've covered some great teams. We've dealt with some fun teams. Of all the teams I've covered, I can honestly say this is in the top two teams that I've ever covered when it comes to quality of kids. The kids on this team are amazing. They really are. This is the best group of kids that I've been around in a long, long time since the days of Will Conroy and uh, Isaiah Thomas, John Brockman. But, you know, I'll put Terrell Brown up with any of those guys. He's the fiercest competitor as I've ever been around. Dejan Davis is one of the best kids you will ever be around. Emmett Matthews is just a joy to be around. Nate Roberts is a bright, articulate young man. Cole Bajima, he'll just do anything. You, you tell him to, you know, run sideways down the court every time he will do it. PJ Fuller coming back home, uh, bright articulate kid and just wants to win. Uh, Langston Wilson. I don't know if you, I don't know if you guys saw this last night, but when Nate Roberts fouled out and he went back into the game, Hopkins headbutted him and told him to go get him, you know? So, um, and they're all just cracking up, but you know, they play hard. Uh, if, uh, this is one of the top one or two teams, you know, when it comes to effort, you know, uh, putting out the effort that I've been around. So um, if the season's over, this is a team I'm really going to miss because it's just full of a bunch of, you know, it's just not really good basketball players, but as quality of people as I've ever been around. Yeah, it definitely was a great bounce back season. Uh, I think Hopkins has proven that, uh, that he has a plan moving forward. Now he just needs to 
find the talent to, to keep uh, pushing onwards and upwards. And that's going to be his biggest task, obviously, is what he does in this offseason. So it'll be very interesting to see how he puts the, all that stuff together and how they move forward. But I don't think there's any question that they've created a solid foundation on which they can go ahead and progress. I, I don't think there's any question about that at this point. So we'll wrap it up from there for Scott Eklund and Kim Grinnells down in Vegas. This is Chris Fetters of Dogman.com. Go dogs. <laughs> Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.